right. If you guys are okay with it, I'm just going to jump in head first. You guys good with it? All right. Go to your Bibles. We've got two places today, so if you're using your phone, you're out of luck. That's why you got to bring a real Bible to church, not one of those little notification distraction devices. Bring you a paper Bible, preferably with some goat skin wrapped around it. That's even better. Can I get a witness? So y'all don't know. You still don't know. If you had one, you'd be like, you know what? It's worth it. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2, and then go to Daniel chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 2, then Daniel chapter 1. Kristen made reference to this. Man, I just want to thank you guys so much for showing up this past Wednesday. And I don't know who was responsible for the food, but I tell you what, I'll get a memo to them that next time they need to make some more. It was, it was me. Actually, it was Kristen, if we're going to be real about it. We need more. We need more. And I mean that in a good way. Everybody said, wow, this barbecue's great. You did a good job. And I said, my wife made it. So uh, she did. And so next, next time we get together is July 26th on a Wednesday night. Everybody better show up because we're going to make at least double the barbecue we had. And if I'm bringing some home, I'm going to be mad at you, okay? All right. First Peter and First uh, Peter chapter 2 and then Daniel chapter 1. This is what the Bible says. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Can you just take for a moment and think about how much better the world would be if every human just applied that to their life right there? Here's the thing about the Bible, and here's the thing about the Word of God. You don't even have to believe it, but if you will apply it, your life would still be better. That's how good it is. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. Come on. Is there anybody in this room who would be honest enough to say, you know what? I need to grow up in the Lord a little bit today. Like, I need to mature a little bit in my faith. There's four men in here saying, you know what, I need to grow up a little bit. The rest of y'all need to get on the, on, on the page with us here. Because uh, I still got some growing to do. And if you ain't met him face to face yet, you still got some growing to do. Okay? So that you will grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's so much better than Reese's. I don't even know what to do with it. Verse 4 says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. We're talking about Jesus right now. Verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built. Put your hand on your heart and say, I'm being built today. Come on, listen, I need you all to cooperate with me today. You're standing there, you're just looking at me. You think you just came to watch, but you can't come to LifeHouse and just watch. That's not how it works in the house. You, we, we, don't, we don't entertain spectators. No, we are together in this, right? So come on, one more time, put your hand on your heart and say, I'm being built today. I'm being built today into a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What are the spiritual sacrifices that we offer? You see, because of the new covenant today, we're not, we ain't got no goats in the backyard. You might actually, I think y'all probably do. I ain't got no goats in my backyard. I got kids back there, but I ain't got no goats in my backyard that I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord. No, my sacrifice that I offer to the Lord is the fruit of my praise, the author of Hebrews says. So listen, when we stand up and we praise the Lord and we shout and we sing, that's the sacrifice that we offer to the Lord. So let me say it like this. If you're the kind of guy, if you're the kind of girl that just sits there like this while we sing and we worship, you're making a mockery of what Jesus did on the cross. You're saying, you know what? Not impressed. You didn't know I was going to start preaching already, did you? Paul says that the sacrifice that we are to offer to the Lord is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him. These are the spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, this is, this is Peter quoting Isaiah, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, talking about Jesus, and the one who trusts in him, hopefully talking about me and you, will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious to us, this is a big deal, right? But to those who do not believe, Peter tells us, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Verse 9, but you, he, say, put your, point at yourself and say, he's talking to me. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Okay, that's Peter telling us who we are. We are a chosen people. You are a chosen person. You are a royal priest. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. And now he's going to tell us what we do because now we know what our identity is. So he says, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful lights. Who I am is a chosen person, a royal priest, a uh, God's special possession. And because of that, I now get to proclaim his goodness for the one who called me out of the dark life that I was living into his marvelous light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Do you know why Peter says don't, don't do bad stuff, don't, don't commit sin? Because it wages war against your soul. Because it seeks to kill, steal, and destroy you. You think you're giving in to a good time, but God knows better than you. And he says, I know that you're giving in to something that wants to destroy you because it wages war against your soul. It may not look bad. It may not feel bad. In fact, it might look good and it might feel good. It might taste good. It might be good by the world standard. But I can see what you can't see. And I'm telling you, you need to abstain from it because it wants to destroy you. It wants to wage war against your soul. He goes and he says this in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans 
Your Bible may say something different. It may say Gentiles. It may say non-believers, whatever. Live such good lives among the people who don't follow Jesus that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In other words, like this, live in such a way on this earth that when people see you and they look at you and, and they get mad at you because you don't approve of what they approve of or you don't celebrate what they celebrate or you don't tolerate what they say you need to tolerate, that they, they look past that and they see that, you know, I don't agree with them doing that, but they are such a good person that this gospel that they claim to believe must have something to it. That this Jesus that they say they follow must in fact be worth following because I see something in them that I wish I had myself. And, and Peter is saying live in such a way that the people of this world will look at your life and say I want what they got. I want what they have. You know, I wish they were different here, and I wish they were different this way. And, you know, they don't, they don't act like I think they should because, you know, they, you know, in fact, they kind of act like they ain't from around here. I wish I knew more about where they came from then. Because, you see, I am just a, Peter says, a foreigner and an exile here on earth. In other words, let me say it like this. I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, but I'm living here temporarily. If you follow Jesus. Now, I didn't say if you prayed a sinner's prayer. Because there's a lot of people that prayed a sinner's prayer that Jesus is going to say on that day, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Because praying a prayer doesn't save you. Following Jesus, denying yourself, taking up your cross, and living a crucified life. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. A lot of you say you're following Jesus, but you're going somewhere and he ain't over there. He, he, he's off way over here. And he's trying to tell you, hey, hey, you're, you're doing your own thing. You're not doing my thing. Okay, all right. So let me ask it like this. Have you ever been somewhere you don't belong? <laughs> you, you, ever, you ever go to like a, you know, you get invited to a party or something, and you, and you realize quickly, these ain't my people. This ain't my crowd. I don't, I don't do this. This ain't how I, this isn't how I operate. Maybe, maybe anybody in the room ever been to a foreign country? You know, some of, some of you from foreign countries. That's cool. That's great. And, and here's the thing. You know, I've been to a few different countries, and, and I've been to Central America. I've been to Asia. I've been to different places. And, and when I got off the plane, I quickly realized I don't look like everybody else. I don't sound like everybody else. I don't talk like everybody else. I don't dress like everybody else. I don't smell like everybody else. I hope not. Sometimes. Their food is different. Their, their signs are different. The way they have traffic lights set up is different. I'm not from, I don't belong here. That's how I feel. God forbid, how many of you been in a church before and you thought, I don't belong in this church? Everybody just staring at the preacher while he's getting after it. They just looking at him like he's crazy. When I go to church, I want to shout him down. He's preaching so good. Right? Peter is essentially saying, though, that this is how we should feel. That we, that we live here. When I say here, I mean earth. I mean this world, right? But we're not from here because we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And, and Peter is telling us, instead of adapting to the ways of this world, and see, you know, that's what we do a lot of times. We, 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 we find a crowd or we find a church or we find a community and we change who we are so we can fit in with who they are. Wow. 
And Peter is telling us, hey, listen, don't try to be at home here because you're not from here. Instead of adapting to the ways of this world, live in such a way as if you're from that world that the people, that the natives, that the, that the, that the pagans, that the non-believers, they see the way you live and they say, you know what? I don't know where you're from, but I think I'd like to visit someday. Because the way you do things is different than the way we do things. And at first, I was watching you, I was looking at you, I was listening to you, and I thought you was crazy. But you know, the longer I have watched, the longer I have listened, the longer I have observed, the more I think maybe we're the ones that ain't got it right. You see, you can't transform what you conform to. See, our mission is to make this world look like the world we came from. Not to make ourselves look like the world we're in. Our mission is to make earth look like heaven one soul at a time. The, the message takes those last two verses. I like how Eugene Peterson summarizes this or paraphrases this. He says, friends, this is 1 Peter 2 verses 11 and 12. Friends, this world isn't your home. So don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. In other words, don't trade your soul for the temporary pleasures this world has to offer. Live, verse 12, an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Yeah, yeah, you know, they... they, they they said I didn't do this or I did do that and, and they criticized me for that and I didn't fit in. But Peter is saying live in such a way that, that your actions, like the longer they watch, the longer they observe, the longer they listen to, the more they go, you know what, there's, some, there's something right about what they're saying. There's something right about what they're doing. So much so that our actions will refute their prejudices. And then the last sentence says, then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration he arrives. In other words, they will see what you got and say, man, I want some of that. And you'll tell them, it's Jesus. You see, I know I live here. I know my address is Oak Ridge, Tennessee, 37830. I know I got an 865 area code. I know this is where I get mail, but like this is just a forwarding address, right? Because this isn't where I'm from. I'm not from around here. You're not from around here. We're not from around here. Let me tell you about the king where I come from. You guys ready? Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. God, I, I pray that over the next few moments, God, that you will help me to be submissive, to be humble, and to be completely and fully and totally obedient to your word, to your way, to operate under the anointing that you give, God, not in my flesh, not in my strength, not in my wit, God, not in my sarcasm, but Lord, Lord, in your spirit, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, and God, that we, myself included, would be transformed by the power of your word, the written word that has been passed down through the ages to us, God, but also by the word of your Holy Spirit, which still speaks to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And Lifehouse said, amen. Amen. Hey, one more time. Can we just celebrate the Lord? Amen. I know this is risky. 
Because some of y'all are going to start snoring if I make you do it for too long. But I want to ask you to close your eyes for just a second. We're going to go on a, we're going to take a little imaginary trip here. And I want to imagine, since, you know, 4th of July is almost here, we're thinking about our country. And as you dwell on how amazing the USA is, and it is, I also want you to remember that it is not a perfect country. So I want you to imagine right now that you live in a country that used to be considered a God-fearing land, but now sin has increased to new levels than you have ever seen before. Not, not our country, but some country, right? Some other country out there. And, and in this country that you are imagining, people are so committed to living a sinful life that they are now making up new ways to sin. New ways to desecrate their bodies. New ways to harm other people, especially innocent people. And, and where sin used to be condemned as sin, it is now celebrated as good. And the speaking of truth is what is condemned as sin. Imagine you live in a country that is experiencing, that's not our country, just some other country, right? Experiencing economic, political, and social turmoil like you have never seen before. You don't know who to trust. You don't know what news organization to trust. You don't know what person to trust. You know, every time you turn on your TV or turn on your computer or, or open up social media, you're introduced into some new bad news that just happened today. So much to the point now that when you wake up every morning, you almost just expect to hear something awful that's brand new to you. All right, y'all can open your eyes. If I make you do it any longer, you'll go to sleep. Imagine you live in a country where you're being invaded by an enemy. And this enemy is taking people captive. Now, if you're Daniel and you're living in 600 B.C., you don't have to imagine this, Right? If you're Daniel and you're living in 600 B.C. and you are living in the nation of Israel, the, the kingdom of Israel that's been set apart for God and for God's purposes and for God's people for the last thousand years, you don't have to imagine this because you have experienced the up and downs of, of when they follow God, things are great. And then the, when things are great, they stop following God. And when they stop following God, God removes his hand of blessing. And then as he removes his hand of blessing, oppression comes in. And as oppression comes in, they turn back to God. God, they repent of their sin. God puts his hand of blessing back on them. And then you follow the roller coaster for a thousand years throughout the kingdom of Israel, right? And, and I read that and I criticize them. But then I think to myself how easy it is just to come to that own temptation in my own life, right? right. And, and so in 600 B.C., we are introduced to a, a man named Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter 1 in your Bibles. You can go ahead and flip there, pull it up on your phone or something. We'll be in Daniel a lot, and I want you to follow along with me. So, so please go to Daniel chapter 1. 600 B.C., the people of Israel, along with Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they did not have to imagine these kinds of circumstances. They were living these circumstances. But for them, it was way worse than anything that we experience here in the good old U.S. of A. You see, they had been invaded by Babylon, and as part of the royal family, they were now going to be deported and exiled back to Babylon, where they would spend the rest of their lives serving King Nebuchadnezzar as slaves. And so today, the greatest hit sermon isn't a single Bible story, but really an overview of the life of Daniel and his three friends. You probably know them better as... 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Yeah. And this is what it says. We're going to start with Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of, of Joachim, king of Judah. I don't know if that's how you say his name, but that's how I'm going to say his name for today. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Joachim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the, to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. You guys okay? All right. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And then verse 7 says, the chief official gave to them new names. You see, the, the names that we are calling them by so far are their Jewish or Hebrew names. And they are named that are actually in honor of the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. And so they want to change them, their names to Babylonian names to give them a new identity, to integrate them into Babylonian culture. And these new names are actually in honor of these false idol Babylonian gods. And their names are to Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, here's the thing. Daniel is an incredible book of the Bible. Uh, in fact, I would encourage you, because we're going to read a lot of it today, uh, that after church, some point today, that you would go home, set aside just 30 minutes, right? It probably would, literally would not take you even 30 minutes. It's 12 chapters long, but it's considered still to be a major prophet. That's how important these 12 chapters of Daniel are. And, and take some time, read it. You're going to read some history. You're going to read some prophecy. And you're going to reread, because we're going to read a lot of them today, some of the coolest Bible stories that there are, right? I mean, I'm talking like VBS greatest hits. You know what I'm saying? Like VeggieTales, when they were creating the show, they were like, first and foremost, we're going to the book of Daniel. That's where we're going to head, right? And so, so let me give you a breakdown of some of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And it's, a, it's an important dream, and he knows it's an important dream. And so he asks all throughout the kingdom, he gets the wise men, the magicians, the, the people who claim to be able to interpret dreams, and he, he gets them to come, he tells them to dream, and they cannot interpret the dream. In fact, I think he told them, he said, I don't need to tell you the dream. If you're really that smart, if you're really that spiritual, if you're really that wise, then you can tell me the dream, and then you can give me the interpretation of the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar is like, let's just, just go ahead and lay this on the table. You need to know this before we go any further. Nebuchadnezzar is crazy. I mean, this man is a psycho, right? He, he is crazy. I said in the first service, he is crazy with a, a capital K. He is crazy. And so nobody can tell him the dream. Therefore, nobody can interpret the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar is like, I'm going to kill all y'all. Like, you, you, I'm just going to kill you. You're, like, you're gone. Like, he's going to kill them all. And then comes to the rescue a man named Daniel, Daniel comes to the rescue and Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, I got you, bro. I got you. I got your dream and your interpretation. But I want to tell you up front, it ain't because I'm so smart. It ain't because I can see things that other people can't see. It's because I know the Lord God Almighty. 
And so Daniel begins to tell him his dream. He then tells him the interpretation. And, and it's a very important dream. It's a prophetic dream. You need to go read it yourself. It deals with kings and kingdoms and lots of clay and stone and iron. Go read it for yourself. And, and then Nebuchadnezzar promotes Daniel. And Daniel and his three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you, you got to know they were tight. They were close with one another. And so this is what Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2, verse 49. He said, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel remained at the royal court. You see, Daniel and his three friends are very important figures in the kingdom of Babylon serving under King Nebuchadnezzar. And I want you to understand, and we're going to make this connection several, several times throughout this message. They, they are not from there. They are Israelites. They are Jews. They are Hebrews. They are not Babylonians. If you're reading the King James Bible, they are not Chaldeans, right? They don't belong there, but they have been brought there. And instead of integrating into the Babylonian culture, you will see time and time again, they uh, represent God to them. They represent the one true God to them. So much so that you will begin to see their hearts change towards the Lord. And so in Daniel, uh, Daniel chapters 4 through 5, we get more dream interpretations, uh, more dreams, more interpretations. Daniel has a lot of things to say. Uh, in, in chapter 5, I think it is, uh, there's this moment where Nebuchadnezzar's son does some really sinful stuff with the things from the temple of God. And if you've ever heard the, the phrase, the writings on the wall, it comes from Daniel chapter 5. Uh, because I think his name is Belshazzar, and he sees a hand, but no arm connected to it, just a hand, and it begins to write on the wall, and it's really, he's, it's really freaky, really scary, and, but it's, I mean, let's just be honest about it, it's actually pretty cool, though. Uh, I mean, you know, it wasn't me, I wasn't the one in trouble, so I think it's pretty cool. And so you get that in Daniel uh, 4 and, and Daniel 5, and then Daniel's uh, chapters 7 through 12, you get a lot more prophecy about the future, uh, but... There's two chapters I'm leaving out that we're going to go over today, and those are Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 6. And that is where the coolest stories come from out of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3 is probably, I mean, like, when you're thinking VBS, like, acted out with puppet Bible stories, I think Daniel chapter 3 has got the best one, if I can just, like, say that. Right? I'm talking, like, this one beats David and Goliath. This beats Noah's Ark. This beats, this beats them all to me. And that is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery. Fiery. Yeah, come on. You guys got to wake up a little bit today, okay? Daniel, I'm assuming, must have been out of town on some official business because he's not recorded uh, in Daniel chapter 3. But I know if he was there, he would have been among Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's company and how they acted. And so you probably know the story. Some of you may not, which that's even cooler to me because I get to be the one to tell it to you for the first time. But even for those of you who don't or do know the story, let's recap it here. And so remember, Nebuchadnezzar is what? crazy, right? He's crazy. And, and see, the kings of this era, not just in Babylon, but the, as we'll see later in Persia and the Medes, they regarded themselves as deity 
as well. And so they worship gods. They would erect false gods and worship these idols. But they also believed themselves to be gods. They believed that they themselves were worth worshiping. And so Nebuchadnezzar has this idea that he is so powerful and so important. What he is going to do is build a golden statue of himself. And, and so he has this statue made. I think the Bible tells us it's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 60 feet tall, I think. I might be wrong. Don't quote me on that. And so he builds this statue. He has it made, and it's of himself. And so the day has come when the statue is finished. And so they have all the important people in Babylon gathered together, including Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because remember, they are serving very close under the king in the royal court. Daniel's out of town. He's probably in Egypt negotiating some trade relations between Egypt and Babylon. That's not in the Bible. I just made that up, but it sounds good, so let's roll with it, okay? And so... And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, when you hear the trumpets, when you hear the flutes, when you hear the lyres, I don't really know what a lyre is. I mean, I know what a lyre is. That's the people on the news. But I'm talking about the lyre uh, with a Y in it. But that's another sermon for another day. But somebody's going to come up to me after church and tell me what a lyre is. And I'm probably going to say liar because it's funny. Yeah. And so, so Nebuchadnezzar says, when all these instruments begin to play, everybody's going to get together, and you're going to bow down, and you're going to worship the golden statue made in my image. And so, so they get everybody together. They start blowing the horns. They start playing the, the, the instruments, and, and everybody gets, begins to bow down. Now, here's something really important that you need to know that is not explicitly stated in the book of Daniel. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not the only Jews in Babylon. They are just four of the probably hundreds, if not thousands, of Jews in Babylon serving in the royal court in some capacity or another. They are the only four that were worth telling stories about, though, because of how they lived. And so... So the music plays, everybody bows down, and Nebuchadnezzar, you know, I can just imagine him standing right there with his arms crossed, looking all these people bowing down to this golden image of himself, feeling pretty good about himself. And then Iana, some people come to Nebuchadnezzar, and they say, hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, some of the Jews. Now, notice it's really important that you recognize that he does not say the Jews or all of the Jews. But what he says is some of the Jews that you brought in from Judah are not bowing down to the statue that you've made. And Nebuchadnezzar is mad and he's upset and he says, okay, bring them here. Bring them to me. And he sees that it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, he has a relationship with them. He knows them because, because Daniel stood up for them and, and had them brought in. We read about that in chapter 2, right? How Daniel had them brought into the royal court and they're serving alongside. And so he knows them. He knows them so well that he wants to give them a second chance because he sees the value in them. He says, you know what? These three guys are smart. They're wise. They have discernment. I need them here. I need them to be part of my kingdom. And so what he does is kind of unheard of. He gives them a second chance. He says to them, okay, guys, listen, maybe, maybe you didn't hear the lyre. It's kind of a questionable instrument anyway. <laughs> right? Maybe you didn't hear the flute. You know, it's kind of a girly instrument anyway. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Sorry if you play the flute and you're a man. Cool. Whatever. Maybe you didn't hear the, the trumpets or the horns. You know, I don't know. I don't know what happened, guys, but you messed up. 
but I'm a gracious king. And I'm going to let you make up for your mistakes. So, so when you hear the instruments again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do the right thing. Come on, doesn't that sound like the world today? Come on, do the right thing. Bow down to this false God that culture has erected, right? Bow down to this truth that we are proclaiming as truth, even though it is in direct contradiction to the word of God, which is the source of all objective truth. And I love what they say to King Nebuchadnezzar. They, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, here's, here's something that you need to notice, and we're going to see this in Daniel's life as well. They always honor the king. They don't, they, don't, they don't go to him disrespectfully. They don't speak to him in a disrespectful manner. They do honor the king. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. In other words, listen, we're not bowing down, and you can throw us into the fire, or maybe we can apply that to our context in our world today. Listen, I'm not going to make that statement. I'm not going to do that thing. I'm not going to show up for that party. I'm not going to wear that ribbon. I'm not going to make that post. And if you want to cut my pay, if you want to demote me, if you want to fire me, the God I serve is able to provide for my every need, even if you do not. But it gets even better than that. They say the God we serve is able to deliver us, but even if he does not, I love this faith. I love this boldness. Can I just say it like this? I love this courage that says even if we burn up in this furnace, we want you to know, in other words, what they're saying, come hell or high water, I am not bowing down to that lie that you're proclaiming is true. I'm not bowing down to that sin that you are proclaiming is good. I'm not bowing down to that idol that you are claiming is a god. I'm not going to bow down to it. And he says, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. We won't do it. Because number one, he'll save us. Number two, and if he doesn't save us, then we get to see him. Yeah. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar is irate. I mean, first of all, he's an unhinged guy. But this just like puts him over the edge. And apparently he found the thermostat to this furnace. And the Bible says he turns it up seven times hotter than normal. I don't know what this thing looked like. I don't know. Like, there's a furnace at my house, but I can't even fit in it, okay? So this is something different than that. And so the soldiers come, and they tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so much so that they can't move, and they tie them up. And I guess they carried them. I don't think they could walk. So I guess they carried them to this furnace. And the Bible says the fire is so hot that the guards that were carrying, the soldiers that were carrying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were burned up as they threw them into this furnace. And I don't know if the fire was just that hot or if it was somehow getting out of control. But either way, it was so hot that it killed the people that put them in to this situation. That's another sermon for another day. And then this is what happens in verse 24. Nebuchadnezzar's watching, you know, he's like looking in the furnace again. Like, I don't really know how this works, but he's able to see in it. And so he's watching. He's like, ha ha, they're going to burn now. That's what they get for not bowing down to my gold statue and talking back to me like that. That's what they're going to get what they deserve. And this is what it says in Daniel chapter 3, verse 24. King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and he asked his advisors. This is amazing. He says, hey guys, how many people are we throwing fire? I'm crazy, so my memory sometimes slips a little bit. My clutch is slipping. That's how they say. Hey, how many, how many people are we throwing a fire? 
You ever know something, but you don't like what you thought you knew, and you're like, I need some confirmation from somebody else to, that's what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. He's like, how many people we throw in there? He says, weren't there three men that we threw into the fire? And they replied, yeah, yeah, that's right. Certainly, your majesty. He said, look at that right there. He said, look, I see four men walking in the fire. Now, this is cool, though. This, this gets skipped over too much. I see four men walking in the fire, unbound and unharmed. That God not only protected them from the flames, but he used the flames to set them free while in the fire. The ropes that were holding them down, God says, I'll, I'll use what the enemy tried to destroy you with to free you from what he tied you up with. And so, and he says, and he says, I see four men, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. Now, depending on your Bible translation, it might say the son of God or sons of God or a God. And what he is actually saying in the Hebrew language is, I see somebody else in there that looks like a divine being, that looks like somebody important. And I know it's Jesus, and you know it's Jesus. And Jesus and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were up in that fire. And you know, they probably had to say to themselves, are we dead? Like, did, did we die? I know we said, even if you throw us in there, we, you know, if he, even if he doesn't save us, we're good. But, like, I guess, I guess we're, I don't know. You know, I guarantee you there was a few seconds where they thought, we're dead. We're dead. It's done. There, there's God. Okay. But they weren't dead. It was Jesus just hanging out with them. In verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. The Bible says he shouted, so I felt like I should shout as well. And he says, y'all come on up out of there. Come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can you just imagine that walk? Like that strut they had coming out of that furnace. They're like, what's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Their neck probably hurt from doing that so much. What's up, guys? Yeah, we're good. We're good. Come out. Come here. So they come up out of the fire. Verse 27, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the royal advisors, they crowded around them. And they saw, this is so cool that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads even singed. Now listen, several years ago, I actually almost blew myself up one time. I put the wrong kind of fuel on a fire, thought it was like kerosene. It wasn't like kerosene, let me just tell you. It blew up. Burn my face, burn my eyebrow off, burn all my hair up right here. It didn't take a whole lot of fire to singe the hair off of my head. It was bad. If you never smelled burned hair, it's, it's not great, just so you know. Can I get a witness in the house? Okay, yeah. And so they look in, they're looking at them. They're close to them. They're literally so close they can smell them. And they're saying the fire hasn't hurt them. The hair's not singed. The robes aren't scorched. And they don't even smell like smoke. Listen, guys, I reverse seared a ribeye last night in my pellet grill, and I smelled like smoke. And these guys were in the middle of a pellet grill, and they don't even smell like smoke. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar said this. Now, here's, here's something important. Remember what Peter said. He said, live in such a way that even if they don't like you, they look at you and they say something's different about you. That, they, that even if they don't want what you have at first, that the longer they are around you, they see something in you that is different and unique, and they will give glory to God because of you. So remember that. He said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him, and they defied the king's commands, and they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. He's, and, and this is amazing. He said, therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say, who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this is extreme. 
I kind of like it, though. It's, it's a little off the deep end, but, you know, let's just roll with it. He said, anybody who says anything against their God will be cut up into pieces, and their house will be turned into a pile of rubble, for no God can save in this way. What did Peter say? Peter said, live your life, stay true to your convictions, honor your God, so much so that they see the way you live, and they say, whatever it is you've got, I want some of that. And then what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Verse 30, he promoted. He just tried to kill him. But he promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He promoted them. You know, I'm just afraid if I stand up for the Lord, if I do what I know God says, that it's just going to cost me too much money at my job. You know, I'm just afraid if I stand true to my convictions that it's going to cost me these relationships that I want to keep and hold on to you know I'm afraid if I just stand firm in what the word of God says that that I'm not going to fit in that I'm, I'm not going to belong that I'm going to suffer in some way even if he doesn't save me they said we will not bow to that God come on can we give the Lord more praise in this house And we go to Daniel chapter 6. Many years later, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not mentioned in Daniel chapter 6. Either because, I mean, just being, like using some, the information we have, either Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're out on official business, right? Or it's even possible because Daniel's an old man in Daniel chapter 6, so it's possible at this point they've passed away. So they may not even be alive anymore. In fact, so much time has passed. We have a new kingdom. Uh, the Babylonians have been conquered by the Persians. Uh, we've, we're, we're three kings later. We had, we had Nebuchadnezzar. We had uh, Belshazzar. And now we've got King Darius of the Persian Empire ruling this area. And so King Darius, just like Nebuchadnezzar, sees the hand of God on Daniel's life. Now, I don't think he knows it's the hand of God. He just knows that Daniel is incredibly smart. He's got a ton of wisdom and that there is something about him that makes him different than everybody else. And so Darius had a plan to promote Daniel to become second in charge of all of the Persian Empire. And this enraged the native Persians so much so that they said to themselves, we've got to do something to get rid of this joker named Daniel. We've got to do something to, to get, get him out of the picture because he is stealing our spots in this, in this government system. He's, he's being promoted ahead of us. And, and so he's just a dirty old you know, Hebrew. He worships uh, you know, God, and, and we don't like him, and we've got to get rid of him. And so they thought to themselves, Man, what are we going to do? He's such a good guy. Like, how can we, how can we get rid of him? Like, he, he doesn't do anything bad. And they said, all right, here's the deal. Here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to trick the king into making a decree that if anybody prays to any god besides Darius, that person will get thrown in jail. Wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. Jail's too good for Daniel. You still got them lions, Billy Bob? That's, I mean, like, if you guys don't read the Bible like this, you're missing out. I'm just saying. And so Billy Bob's like, yeah, I got them lines. They hungry. He says, all right, if anybody prays to any God except Darius for the next 30 days, they get thrown into Billy Bob's lion den, right? And so 
And so they go to Darius. Darius is not quite as crazy as Nebuchadnezzar, but he's still an egomaniac, and he still considers himself to be worthy of worship. And he says, you know what, 30 days sounds like a great idea to me. And the thing about Persian law is once a Persian law is passed, not even the king himself can revoke it. So for the next 30 days, it is found out, Daniel finds out that if anybody worships any god but Darius or prays to any god but Darius, they will be thrown into the den of lions. And so what does Daniel do? Daniel says, you know what, you know, I pray, I've been praying my whole life. I'll just take a 30-day break. No big deal. I mean, like, but how many of us compromise convictions because we justify the action because we see what it may do to us and we say, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's not, that, it's not a big deal. You know, God knows my heart. God knows, God knows my heart. You know, in the book of Revelation, when Jesus writes to the seven churches of Asia, he never says to them, I know your heart. He says, I know what your deeds. So Daniel, in chapter 6, verse 10, Daniel learned that the decree had been published. And he went home to his upstairs room where his windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. And here's the key phrase, just as he had done before. Now, many of us live under this impression that if it ever comes down to us living for God or committing some blatant sin, or maybe we'll say it like this. This is how we'll say it. This is like when I was in youth group, this is how we talked about it. That if, if somebody held a gun to my head and said, if you don't deny Jesus, I'm going to shoot you. Oh, I would stand up for Christ. You won't even stand up for Christ in your bedroom with your cell phone on Pornhub.com. You think you're going to stand up for Christ when your life is on the line? You won't even stand up for Christ when, when, when your coworkers are cutting down your boss and you won't stand up for Christ and, and, and saying, listen, we're not going to talk about people this way. In fact, you join in on that. You think you're going to stand up for Christ when the stakes are a lot bigger than that? You, you won't even stand up for Christ by turning the TV off when, when the, the, the scenery and the words start becoming explicit and, and profane. You think you'll stand up for Christ when, when it really matters? Is it okay if I just be honest with you a little bit? You, you won't stand up for Christ and, and actually go to church on Sundays because you find something better to do. I'm talking to the people in church. I don't know if that really qualifies for you guys. You won't stand up for Christ and give in your tithe. You won't stand up for Christ and choosing to read the Bible because you got better things to do like sleep or watch Netflix. You know, it's easy to say, I'll do big things for God. I'll do amazing, I'll, 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 I'll put my life on the line. But you won't. Because you won't even die to yourself right now. You won't put him first in the small things. How do you think you'll put him first in the big things? Now, I'm not talking to y'all. I'm talking to the people that watch this later. <laughs> Just kidding. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, 
giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Because this was not a new practice for Daniel. And he did the right thing when it was the popular thing. He did the right thing when it was the hard thing. He did the right thing when it was the easy thing. He did the right thing when it was the outlaw thing. He did the right thing because he was committed to the Lord first and foremost before he was committed to himself, before he was committed to a king, before he was committed to a government, before he was committed to anybody else, before even committed to himself, he was committed to following the ways of God. Culture expectations, unjust laws, none of that dissuaded Daniel from doing what he knew was right. So, what happens to Daniel? Billy Bob's lying den sitting right there. And King Darius is informed that Daniel has prayed to God and immediately, it's amazing, go read it, go read your Bible, Daniel chapter 6. King Darius is like, no, I don't want that, I love Daniel, I need Daniel, Daniel's a big deal, Daniel's important. And so he throws them into the lion's den because he has to. Because if he doesn't throw them into the lion's den, then they can actually throw him into the lion's den. And so, so Darius is like, listen, I hope the God that you serve can save you. And so this is, this is what happens. King Darius is up all night. He's worried about Daniel. Verse 19, chapter 6, verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? Can I just, can I just ask you right now, can the people that would be classified as your enemies, the enemies to your faith, could they say about you, can, the God that you continually serve? Daniel answered in verse 21, May the king live forever. Again, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego does, he starts by honoring the king, even though the king is the reason why he's in this mess. Can I just tell you this, a little, little rabbit trail for you right now? If Jesus is your Lord, you have given up your right to hold on to unforgiveness and offense. If Jesus has forgiven you of your sins, then you do not have the right to hold on to unforgiveness towards anybody else. You have to forgive. Jesus says it in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive as I forgive those who have sinned against me. And so even though he's the reason why he's in this mess, he starts off by honoring the king. May the king live forever. Verse 22, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of Billy Bob's lions. They haven't hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Verse 24, the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought and they were thrown in the lion's den along with their wives and children. My God, that's pretty intense, right? And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. It's getting graphic, guys. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and the peoples of every language and all the earth. He said, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. What did Peter say? He said, live your life in such a way that even your enemies, that even the pagans, that even the Gentiles, even the non-believers, they look at you and they give praise to God because of the way they see God in your life. They look at how you live. He said, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. My God, Darius sounds like an evangelist. 
He performed signs and wonders in heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And then verse 28, again, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. All right, that's the intro to my sermon. I got a question for you as I get into the meat of the message. How did these foreigners, how did these exiles, how did these resident aliens make such a profound impact in the midst of these awful situations that they found themselves in? You got to go back to chapter 1. So go back to chapter 1 in your Bible right now. Do it. Go to chapter 1. And if you underline in your Bible, this is a verse worth underlining. If you are using the Bible out, hold down and let it highlight that verse. Daniel, chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, that word resolved is a few Hebrew words put together. The King James actually makes a better translation of that phrase or of that word. The King James says, But Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat and the king's wine. And why did he purpose in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat and the king's wine? We don't really know. We can assume that that meat was probably not kosher. Maybe it was pork. Praise the Lord for the new covenant and baby back ribs. Can I get a witness in the house? Amen. Bacon and all those good things. But for Daniel and his people who were still living under the new covenant, they would not eat pork. And maybe if it wasn't pork, maybe it was because it had been dedicated to one of the Babylonian gods. Maybe the the wine had been dedicated to a Babylonian god. Either way, his conscience was bothered as he looked at this food that was presented before him and because he wanted to honor God not just in the big things but in the itty bitty things not just in the public things but in the private things of his life he goes to the chief official with respect and he says listen if it's okay with you I would rather not eat this just give me some water and some vegetables and I'll be okay me and Azariah and Michelle and and Hananiah will be fine just give us some meat and vegetables we don't want to eat this because we want to honor God with our bodies And, and so this small decision set Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego up for 70 years of favor, 70 years of influence spanning multiple kings and two different kingdoms because they purposed in their heart that even in the unseen things, even in the small things, I will honor the Lord with my body. I will honor the Lord by what I put into my body. I will honor the Lord by what comes out of my body. I will honor the Lord at all times as best as I am able to do so. And so verse 17 says this, chapter 1 still, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Listen, you want God's favor on your life? You do. You do. You didn't answer me, but you do. Can I tell you, number one, if you want God's favor on your life, help the preacher while he's preaching a little bit more. I'm serious, guys. Come on. This is, if you will apply this, If you'll get excited about this, if you will begin to live this, it will change your life. And it won't just change your life, it will change the life of everyone around you. Because that's exactly what happens with these four men. Because they live this way, everyone in proximity to them is blessed because of it. 
And that's the way God works. When he blesses you, he never blesses you just to bless you. He blesses you so that you can be a conduit for even greater blessings. So it says to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king taught with them, and he found none equal to, Han- uh, to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Now here's the deal. Guys, I know this is a long sermon. Y'all okay? Okay, good, because I ain't stopping anyway. It's, it's, it's dirty weather outside. It's nasty. It's gross. It's been raining. You ain't got nothing better to do today than sit here and, 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 and respond to the word of God. Amen? Amen. So, so something, though, that's kind of sad, and I said this earlier. I alluded to it. I want to say it again. They were not the only Jews exiled into Babylon. There was hundreds, if not thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of Jews exiled to Babylon. But as far as we can tell, they are the only ones that pursued holiness in the unseen details of life. But as far as we can tell, they are the only ones who stood for the Lord when everyone else bowed down to the false gods of the day. And they are the only ones who continued in the ways of God when everyone else was deceived by the allure of sin. Listen, there are hundreds of thousands of Christians all over this country. But listen, there are so many of people who claim to follow Jesus. And Jesus is off somewhere else. And they are wandering around in a pasture lost because they have not been following Jesus. They've been following their own selfish and sinful desires. Let that not be said of us. Let that not be said of you. Let that not be said of Lifehouse Church that we will be men and women of God who are committed to the ways of God even in the small, seemingly pointless, unseen details of life that if it dishonors the Lord, I don't want it in me. If it dishonors the Lord, I don't want it coming out of me. That if it dishonors the Lord, I don't want to have anything to do with it. But that in what goes in my body and what comes in my mouth and what goes in my mind and where my feet take me and what my hands do and my attitude towards people and the way I love my spouse and the way I love my kids and the way I love my neighbor and the way I lead a church and the way I love my church and all that I do, let it be said of us that Jesus is our king. Say it like this. I'm not from around here. And I don't want to look like I'm from around here. I don't want to live like I'm from around here. I don't want to behave like I'm from around here. Because I'm not. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and so are you. We cannot see transformation where we have decided that we will conform. We have to be different and set apart. So how can we live like citizens of the kingdom as foreigners on this earth? Let me get a little Lord of the Rings reference in here. How can we live like faithful exiles waiting on the return of the king? Because Jesus is coming back. We don't talk talk about that enough. It just hit me. We got to talk about that more. Because a lot of you don't even know what I'm referencing right now. He's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for his church. So how can we live as citizens of the kingdom? How can we live as faithful exiles while we wait on his return. I got five points for you. Take, write these down. Number one, we must not cower. We must not cower. 
I'm going to say some stuff. It's going to be kind of confrontational. Some of you may like it and you want to clap. Some of you may want to get up and walk out. I just want to ask you, nobody do any of that right now. Here's the deal. We cannot run from or ignore the state of the church or of the world. One out of every six members of Generation Z, Gen Z, right now identify as LGBTQ+. One out of six. One half of all millennials and Gen Z combined say that gay marriage is good and should be celebrated, even though the Word of God says it's wrong and should be pointed out that it's sin. Culture, you see, we cannot cower. We cannot, you know, we can't, we can't hide behind our holy pulpits hoping they won't see us because the world is screaming about these issues. And if we are silent, the world will assume, and so much of the church even, will assume that the Bible and the Word of God and the people of God and the Holy Spirit of God have nothing to say about these things when he has so much to say about these things. And if we remain silent, we are just telling the people that God is okay with it when he's not. And remember, what did Peter say? Why did Peter say we should abstain from sinful desires? And this is what the world doesn't understand, and this is what so many Christians don't understand. The reason why we should abstain from sinful desires is not because it's wrong and God's going to punish us for it, because Peter tells us because those sinful desires wage war against your soul, that there is an enemy who seeks to kill, to steal, and destroy, who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And the reason why God says abstain from sin is not because he wants to create a bunch of rules that make it hard for us but because he wants us to live according to his standards and live a life of favor and blessing of his hand of, of, of blessing on us yeah. Yeah. so we can't live in our bubbles and just pretend everything is okay when it's obviously not and as a pastor and as a church can I just tell you these are hard issues to talk about because the minute you say something about it everybody's like oh that's not loving oh that's not that's not loving that doesn't sound like Jesus have you read the Bible? What Jesus are you talking about? The made up in your mind Jesus or the Jesus of the word of God? Because to me, that sounds just like Jesus. Do you know what's not loving? To know somebody is ruining their life and say nothing about it. If I see you driving towards a cliff and I don't stop you, if I don't wave my arms, if I don't do everything within my power and ability to show you and to point to that cliff and to say, hey, if you keep going that way, it's going to destroy your life, then I must hate you. It is nothing but loving to show where sin exists and to say this is what God says and this is what we should do. And if you want to live in God's blessings, then you've got to live in God's word and you've got to be obedient to his word. Abstain from sinful desires. Not because God has a rule checklist and he's waiting to see if you mess up so he can knock you off the list. No, no, no. Abstain from sinful desires because they wage war against your soul. And so we as the church, me as an individual, you we as followers of Christ, we have to stop. Let me say it like this. We can't be cowards anymore. We have been. We've been afraid. We don't want people to think we're mean. We don't want people to block us on Facebook. Listen, I get blocked on Facebook all the time recently, apparently. It's become my new goal in life. How many people will block me on Facebook now? We can't be a coward. Because people's eternity is at stake. 
You guys okay? Number one, we can't cower. Number two, we must not conform. When everybody's eating the king's meat and drinking the Kool-Aid of the day, we can't. We can't compromise our convictions in the name of tolerance. When everyone else is bowing down to the false gods of our day, we have to stand strong in the Lord. When, when everyone else is turning from godliness or turning from, from God, when everyone else is turning from the ways of God, then we have to be the men and women of God who stay committed to his word, committed to his presence, and committed to his people. We stay committed to the Bible, we stay committed to prayer, and we stay committed to the church. We have to. We cannot conform. For Daniel, in verse 8, it was, it was just as simple about eating something that's, that bothered his conscience, and he knew this is what God wanted me to do. And so he refused in that moment, in that small thing, to conform. I'll say it like this. How many of you know that if Daniel had not resolved in his heart to not defile himself by eating the king's meat and wine, he would have he took a 30-day sabbatical from praying in chapter 6? Right? If Daniel or if, if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had said, you know what, we'll eat the meat, we'll, we'll drink the wine. How many of you know that when, when all the instruments blew and all the sound was made that they would have said, you know what, I guess we'll just bow down. Because if you won't follow him in the small things, you ain't going to follow him in the big things. You're lying to yourself. You have to make up your mind, God, even in the details, even in the things that nobody sees, I will follow you. I will be true to you. I will stay committed to you. Even, even if it costs me. I can't tell you. I know. It's almost one. You guys, if you need to leave, you can just leave. God, I'm going to keep going, though. I can't tell you how many times I talk to people, and I love them. And they're good people. They're just deceived. Who come to me with an issue in their life. And they, they lay something out. And they say, you know, I know this is what I should do. But I, I think the Lord's okay with this if I do this instead. And honestly, if I can just be real honest with you, I've been a coward. And I'll often say, like, yeah, it's fine. But I can't do that anymore. I can't do that anymore. I'm like, yeah, there's grace, you know, but I don't think that's how grace works, man. Like, that's, that's, not, that's not exactly, you know, it's like taking the blood of Jesus and saying, yeah, I can, I can stump on this. I can trample on this. Yeah, it's all for me. I can just use and abuse this. That's not how grace works. Okay, I need to move on. I'm going to dig a hole and not be able to get out of it. We can't cower. We can't conform. Number three, and this one's going to be tricky, we cannot condemn. And I know, it's like, wow, I, th I thought you were already condemning. You know the reason why you thought that? It's because you listen to the way the world talks and not the way the Word of God talks. And when I, dis when I point out truth, that doesn't mean I'm condemning your lie. That just means I, I love you enough to point out truth to you. When I tell you the truth in, the, in spite of your lie, it's not because I'm condemning you. It's because I want to see you be, conform, or, or be transformed. I want to see you change. And so our battle, let me say it like this, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against evil and authorities of the unseen world. This is Paul talking to the church at Ephesus. Our battle isn't people. It's not flesh and blood, but it's against evil and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this art world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Let me, let me say this. Social media, that's not my battleground. My prayer closet's my battleground. Don't, don't, don't get on Facebook and start posting crap when you hadn't even read the Word of God for yourself that day. Don't, 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 don't get on Facebook and start listening to all these things where people are going wrong when you've only spent 30 seconds of prayer when you were in traffic, asking the Lord to make a way where there was no way. For, for too, many, too many people, the only time we pray is when we pull into a parking lot asking God for a good spot. 
I mean, we laugh, and it is funny, but, but you know it's true, too. So, so my battleground, that's not, that's not the public arena. My battleground is where I'm with the Lord. And here's the deal. I won't tolerate, I won't celebrate, but I also will not preach condemnation. I will proclaim the truth about sin. I will proclaim the truth about Jesus. And the truth about Jesus is that he does love sinners, but that he also came and died for sinners so that sinners could be set free from sin. Not so that they could have an excuse to sin. So we're not going to cower. We're not going to, uh, what was the second one? I can't remember. Conform, thank you. We're not going to condemn. What will we do? Two more. Number four, we must stay committed to Christ. We must stay committed to Christ. First, and I basically have already preached this point black and blue already, but in the seemingly small everyday things, Daniel's initial commitment to holiness had nothing to do with who he was, what he wore, or where he was located, but had everything to do with what he consumed, right? He was committed to Christ or he was committed to God in the very small unseen things of life. And you and I, we have to make up our mind. I mean, we, we, and I know it's so easy to think, oh, you know, I'm, I just feel like so many people, and hopefully it's no one in this room, but maybe it is, you have convinced yourself of this lie that you will give God X portion of your life. But there are these certain things, you know, you've already committed to this, you've already decided to do this. That you say to the Lord, nah, I, that's, I, I'm going to do this the way I want to do it. And I would just say to you, you, God is not a have it your way God. You cannot offer God 75% of your heart. You, he won't take it. He will refuse that. You cannot offer God 99.9% of your heart. He won't take it. He, he doesn't want that. He will not accept what is left over after you get what you want. God, I, I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven. I want your blessing over my life. But Lord, every third Saturday or every third Sunday, I got a standing golf tournament with my buddies. I ain't giving that up. I'm just trying to think of something. I don't know. <laughs> I mean. You know, God, I, I tried reading the Bible, but I just, I don't understand it, so I'm not going to read it. Because I don't understand. God, I tried to pray, but I just feel like I'm talking to a wall, so I'm just not going to pray. Like, can I just tell you, that's just not how it works. You either are committed to Christ or you're not. And for too long, we have preached a, a, a false gospel of inclusivity that God will take whatever you want to give him. And what you don't want to give him, that's okay. And we don't say it like that, but that's what we're preaching, right? You guys okay? Am I, am, I, am I hitting a little too close to home? And can I just tell you, I'm pastor in church, but I've lived like that before in my life. Abstain from sinful desires because they wage war against your soul. Do you know that anything that you do knowingly that is in contrast to what you know the Lord wants you to do is sin? We think of sin as like these big, you know, these big ticket items, but like, if you know the Lord wants you to spend time in His Word every day and you're either too tired, too sleepy, too entertained, or too whatever to do so, James says if someone knows to do good but does, does it not to him, it is sin. 
We have to stay committed to Christ. For some of us, we've got to make the decision that we're going to be committed to Christ. Not committed to these other things that seek to rob us from our relationship with Christ. Committed to Christ and what we allow into our mind, what we allow into our spirit, what we allow to come out of our mouth. You know, I I had a buddy, his gamer tag on Xbox was, I love Jesus, but I cuss some. I mean, I get it, but like, you know, how about I love Jesus to let him be Lord of my lips? Oh, what about when I mess up? Yeah, you know what? That's, that's, I get it. You're going to mess up, but like, don't, don't claim the mistake before you make it. Like, when you mess up, you have an advocate, the Bible tells us, one who sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. When you mess up, when you cuss a little, you go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am so sorry that came out of my mouth. Lord, that my mouth, that my tongue, that my lips will be holy and set apart to proclaim the praise of the one who called me out of darkness into your marvelous light. I'm, I'm getting off in the weeds a little bit. I'm sorry committed to Christ and how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our energy, how we love our family, how we love our spouse, how we love our kids, how we love our neighbor, how we love and are committed to our church, how we talk, uh, how we, by our commitment to his word, by our commitment to prayer, by our commitment to sharing the gospel of Jesus, right? Committed to Christ in every area of my life, denying myself, repenting of sin, pursuing being transformed by the word of God. And number five, and I'm sorry, I know, I'm sorry, I know I've gone a long time. Number five, we must confront evil and sinfulness with grace and truth. Not just we got to confront evil and sin. You know, it's very important. We confront evil and sinfulness with grace and truth. We must not cower, we must not conform, we must not condemn, but we must confront because we, we can't just pretend it's not a problem. We must confront in grace and truth. And, and the reason why we confront in grace and truth is because we want to be like Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus did. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible tells us the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. Jesus put on human skin and he became a human and he lived on earth. He made his dwelling among us. John says we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Not half full of grace and half full of truth. You know, Jesus ain't half and half. Jesus is whole milk. You know, Jesus is, Jesus is heavy whipping cream. I don't know. He is full of grace and truth. He is all grace and he is all truth because truth without grace is just mean. That's just condemnation, right? That's just pointing out, oh, you're awful, you're wrong, you're bad, you sh- you're going to hell, right? That's what, that's what uh, truth without grace is. It's just mean, but grace without truth is meaningless. And, and for so long, the world has asked us to preach a gospel of grace without truth. Oh, you know, Jesus loves me and that's enough. I mean, it's crazy how you can be so close to being exactly right and be so wrong. And that's the gospel that the world has tried to preach and proclaim that, you know, God's love is all I need. Well, the reason God loves you is so he can change you. Because sinful desires wage war against your soul. And, the, and then the church for so long has preached a gospel of truth without grace. Oh, you're an awful person, you're going to hell. And we call it legalism, right? But Jesus is all of this, all together, all the time. And the 
probably the greatest example in all of Scripture is in John chapter 8. There's a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. We don't know what happened to the man, but there's this woman caught in the act of adultery. And they, they take her out and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And they tell Jesus, that the law of Moses says we need to execute her. And so they pick up rocks and they're going to throw them at her and stone her. And they said, this is what the law says. Jesus, what do you say? You claim to be a big shot. What do you say? And I love it. You know, I got a lot of questions when I get to heaven. Top five is going to be, Jesus, what did you write in the dirt? Because this is what happens. The Bible says that Jesus stooped down in the dirt and he began to write in the dirt. And we don't know what he wrote. It's not recorded in Scripture. But it says one by one, starting with the oldest, because the oldest had a lot more garbage to be ashamed of, I imagine. Starting with the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their rocks and they walked away. Jesus looks up and he looks at the woman. And he says, woman, where are those that condemn you? The woman says they're gone. And Jesus says this beautiful sentence. He says, neither do I condemn you. And that, and that for so many is where the gospel start or stops, right? Neither do I condemn you. But that is not the end of what Jesus said. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. We must confront evil and sinfulness with grace and truth. We are the body of Christ on earth, and we must go into this world full of grace and truth, ready to do battle with spiritual darkness all around us as we embrace our status as resident aliens on this world to make this place look like where we came from. And if you're ready to join in that battle with me, the battle that we don't wage on social media, but that we wage in our prayer closets, the battle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers of darkness, against the, the powers of sin that wage war against our soul. Will you stand with me this afternoon? If you're ready to say, Pastor, I am tired of being a coward and hiding from the problems and living in my spiritual bubble. I, do, I refuse to conform. I refuse to condemn. But I want to be committed to Christ more than I ever have been before. And I am ready to confront evil and sin with grace and truth. Right where you stand. We just raise your hand high in the air. That's me. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Come on, raise it high. Don't be ashamed. Raise it high. Raise it high. All right, listen, guys. I know it's late. I've apologized to you more than I probably should have for preaching so long. But I warned you when I started, it's going to take a little while. Caleb back here looking at the clock saying, oh, man, it's time for dinner. All right, Don's going to lead us. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. The Holy Spirit's going to seal this in our hearts. And then we're going to go out of these doors, and we are going to be the church to the world. Amen? All right, let's worship the Lord.